Our God and Father, Lord, we are so grateful. We're grateful, God, for the salvation that you have given us through our Lord Jesus. We thank you that you did send your Son because of your great love for us to die in our place, to be a sacrifice for us, to satisfy your justice, to remove our guilt, and to make us new creatures in him. We thank you for the good things that you're doing in our life now by your Holy Spirit. And we pray for strong faith, God, for surrendered hearts that are ready to do your will and ready to receive your forgiveness. We thank you for the glorious gospel that you have given us and we ask that we might be faithful to tell it to others, to tell it to the coming generations. And Lord, we pray that you'd give us wisdom, that you'd give us help, that you give us opportunities to share the gospel. We honor you and we bless you because of Jesus' precious blood. Amen. Okay, so with that, we've been talking about the gospel and evangelism for these last few weeks. And uh, most recently we've been talking about divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And how the two kind of go hand in hand in the process of evangelism. And of course the main point is is that God is the one who makes new creatures. God is the one who gives us the Holy Spirit through regeneration. God is the one who saves those whom he calls. And he calls all those whom he has predestined, as the scripture says. Those whom he foreknew... These he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And all those he predestined, verse 30, Romans 8:30, these he also called. And all those whom he called, these he also justified. And all those whom he justified, these he also glorified. Amen? Which means not only is he the author of our faith, but he's the finisher. Amen? Amen. And so we rest in God's sovereign work in bringing us to himself. And so it's important then as we go out to share this gospel that we've been discussing now since September that we understand that God is the one that's sovereign in bringing people to himself. So we don't have to wrangle somebody into coming to Christ We seek to convince them and persuade them, but we know it's ultimately not because of our cleverness of speech, but it's because God, by His Holy Spirit, is working in their heart to bring Him to Himself. Amen? And so this allows us to be both bold and also at the same time very patient in sharing the gospel because we realize that people are going to come to Christ because God has called them. And that we're just a means. We're just one of the ways and means that God is using to bring them to himself. Amen? 
as we talked about last week and then at the bottom of page 120. God does all these things in his own good time. And so many times we witness to people and we don't necessarily see a response. As a matter of fact, the response we may see may be one of much resistance. Indeed, with some people, as we're planting those gospel seeds, the message is rather offensive and troubling. Amen? Because it's a troubling and offensive message. It's not just a message about good news. It's also a warning about some very bad news. Amen? And so there is a very real sense of troubling that should go on in the heart of anybody that's coming to Christ. They should be absolutely troubled over their sin before a holy God. Amen? But at the same time, hopefully, we're bringing them a message that is a message of freedom, whereby that trouble and those fears can be relieved. Amen? As they cast themselves upon Christ and what he's done to redeem them to God. Amen? And so this gives us an opportunity then to be patient. Even in the face of resistance, we can be patient. Listen, with some people, we're just planting seeds. But as it says in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7, Paul writing there, he says, What then is Apollos, or what is Paul, servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one? He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then... Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Amen? And so when we're sharing the gospel, family, we just rely upon the Spirit of God to do His work. It's our responsibility primarily to do two things. Number one, to explain the message clearly and accurately. And number two, to do it with gentleness and respect with Christian character, with Christian integrity. Amen? If we do those two things, okay, we're really fulfilling our duty to be a gospel witness. The gospel is just a message. It's just something we're communicating. It's not our message. We didn't invent it. Amen? God invented it. We're just telling somebody about it. So, with that, let's... um, Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this idea of maybe even sharing with somebody who's not quite ready to receive. Sharing with somebody whose heart is not necessarily quite stirred to the point of response by the Spirit of God. What should we do? How should we approach that? Can we really be patient? How do we engage in that? With that, I'm going to read from the top of page 121. Therefore, it is important to be patient and loving as we witness, hope, and pray for the salvation of those to whom we preach. So here's what we're saying. Be patient and be loving. Amen? I mean, what minister of Christ is not truly a minister of Christ if he's not filled with love? Would you agree? And who really wants to hear... The message of an angry messenger. Are you with me? 
There may be a, a point in time with some people when you really need to address them in a very straightforward way. But even at that, it's not an angry way. It's not an overly intense way that seems to or seeks to twist people's arms. Are you with me? It's God that does that. And so, look, as we share the gospel, look, we realize, look, if someone's going to come to Christ, it's going to be because the Holy Spirit of God is calling them effectually. He's calling them with a power that will effect their salvation. Are you with me? We call this the effectual calling. And it happens to every Christian. Okay, you, you came to Christ by the power of the Spirit of God in regeneration. That's how you were saved. God decided to set his love on you before the foundation of the world. And in the course of history, in the course of time, in the course of you living out your life, God, through a series of circumstances, brought you to a place where he made you willing to believe. And when you heard the message, that's exactly what you did. With faith that he gave you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Amen? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Right? That faith that you placed in Christ was because of God's good favor, His grace. Right? Through the gift of faith that He gave you. And so, if you will, until the Spirit of God moves upon somebody in that way, nobody comes to faith. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, that guy who could quote the Bible forward and backward, right? Lest ye be born again, ye cannot even see the kingdom of God. Amen? Or enter. And so, if you will, this allows us to be patient and to be loving and to be gentle and to be kind with people that we share the gospel with. Hoping and praying for their salvation. Amen? Because we don't know who God is calling. All we know is he's given us a commission to go out to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel to every creature under heaven. Amen? We just happen to know that those who come, come because the Father has given them to the Son as a gift. Right? John 6:37. All that the Father gives to me shall come to me. And he who comes to me I will no wise cast out. Amen? And so we're hoping, we're witnessing and hoping and praying for their salvation. Well, consider these words from J.R. Packer about those who may be somewhat resistant. He says, if, on the other hand, you meet a person who is not thus prepared, a person who has yet no conviction of the truth of the gospel and perhaps no idea or even a false idea of what the gospel actually is, It is worse than useless to try and stampede him into a snap decision. You may be able to bully him into a psychological crisis of some sort, but that will not be saving faith and will do him no good. What you have to do is take time with him, to make friends with him, to get alongside him, to find out where he is in terms of the spiritual understanding, and to start dealing with him at that point. You have to explain the gospel to him and be sure that he understands it and is convinced of its truth before you start pressing him to an active response. You have to be ready to help him, if need be, 
through a spell of seeking to repent and believe before he knows within himself that he has received Christ and Christ has received him. At each stage, you have to be willing to go along with him at God's speed, which may seem to you a strangely slow speed, but that is God's business, not yours. Your business is simply to keep pace with what God is doing in his life. Your willingness to be patient with him in this way is the proof of your love of him, no less than of your faith in God. If you are not willing thus to be patient, you need not expect that God will favor you by enabling you to win souls. Amen? And I think that's really an apt description of what witnessing is really like in the Christian life. Amen? It's not like we walk down the street and we face somebody on the street and we tell them the gospel and they fall on their knees repenting and are saved, crying a bucket of tears. <laughs> I suppose that could happen, and in some cases, possibly, probably has. Amen? But in most cases, it's because we're witnessing to people throughout the course of our life. Amen? And many times these are people who we see on a daily basis and we talk to them for for years and years, I, I know there's a brother that goes to our church here who who I had been witnessing to years and years ago back in, in the late 80s. And he was working with me. And uh, I kept telling him about Christ and how God had saved me and, and what freedom and joy and peace I had received in Christ and how he was healing my heart and and uh, had convicted me of my sins and caused me to repent and, and uh, how powerfully my life was changed. Of course, I was telling everybody in the workplace, this one brother, he kind of had an ear. Actually, he wasn't a brother at that point. <laughs> but, I, man, I was giving him tapes of evangelists and Bible teachers, and, and then I would talk to him about what he listened to. And, you know, this went on for a period of several years. Well, that brother left the company that we were at, that we were working at. I keep calling him a brother because now he's a brother. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it, it was some, I think, four years after that, that uh, we moved on and gone in, in different paths in our career, and, and one day the phone rings. Ding, 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 ding. I pick up the phone, and it's this brother. And he says, I got saved. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he, said, I, he said, I don't know what happened. I just was running from God uh, ever since we had talked years ago. He said, uh, and then through a series of events, people speaking to me, things happening to me, God brought me to a place one day in, the, in my life where uh, I was just at the point of conviction and I just surrendered, you know. He says, and then he says, what do I do now? <laughs> I said, brother, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> but, you know, it was just, a, for, for me, a thing of just planting seeds. And that, those seeds were many, and they were varied, and they went, it went on for a long time. This brother, he, you know, here I am giving him all these tapes and things. I mean, he's getting a school of theology, <laughs> you know. And, and, uh, and yet, you know, hard, heart still hard, you know, not, not ready to come to Christ. And, uh, and here it is, you know, years later, I haven't even seen the brother. And he's been saved. <laughs> You know, just a glorious thing. But so many times, isn't that how it happens? You know, we're just planting seeds. Or we're just watering seeds that others have planted. And eventually God does his work in his time, right? I think this brother was driving down the freeway one day and realized that he, it was time for him to surrender, you know. And it was just the Spirit of God working in his heart. 
And so, um, so it is that God is sovereign in bringing people to himself when he's good and ready. When God's good and ready. Amen? And, uh, and so this is what we do. We come alongside people. We very graciously love them. But in a very straightforward way, seek to communicate clearly what the gospel is. And seek to communicate to them clearly that Jesus is, is giving them an invitation to come to him freely and receive forgiveness of sins. Right? You don't have to clean up your life to come to Jesus. You just need to come to Jesus and he'll clean up your life. You with me? It's not to say we don't have to repent of sins. Of course we have to repent. That's how we come. We come turning away from our sin. Okay? But listen, we have no power over sin. What power do we have to overcome sin? I'll tell you, the power of the cross as it's applied by the Holy Spirit. And that demolishes sin completely and utterly. Amen? God wipes away the guilt of our sin because of Christ. And therefore, we are clean. And then the Christian life is just a matter of becoming who you are. And living in what has already been purchased to you, for you by Christ. Amen? Amen. You with me? I mean, how many of us Christians have have never sinned again since we got saved? (laughs) What about all those sins? What about cleaning up that life? Are you with me? Did you have to clean up your life before you came to Christ? No. But since you've come, he's sure been cleaning it up, hasn't he? And this is how we know we're Christians. We see an ongoing decreasing frequency of sin in our life and an increasing frequency of love to God and love to neighbor and love for the word of God and those things that stir our hearts and cleanse us because of the spirit of God that's at work within us. Amen? This is the assurance that we have when we see the spirit of God working in our life to cleanse us and to wash us. Well, based on all these things we've been talking about, how God is is sovereign in salvation, uh, On page 121 there, I have listed some conclusions. With this knowledge, then, of the sovereignty of God and of the inevitable human response that is necessary for anyone to be saved, let us draw several conclusions from what we have learned. The first, God is sovereign. Okay? No one comes to faith apart from the effectual calling of the Spirit of God because they have been elected by God. In other words... The reason why people come to faith is because God has called them. He's predestined and foreknown and called them to salvation. And he's simply working that out in their life. And we happen to be one of the means of that. Amen? And so God is sovereign in who the elect are, and he in his own time and in his own divine method saves those whom he has chosen. Listen, nobody ever comes to Christ who has not been chosen by God. And when they come to Christ, here's what the Bible calls them. The called, chosen, and elected. Okay? Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Amen? However, the call of the gospel is a universal call. We have no ability to discern who the elect are and who they are not. Therefore, we are diligent to preach the free offer of the gospel to all people in hopes that they are elect and will respond, regardless of race, 
class, gender, or any other distinction. You understand? The gospel is a message that crosses every boundary that humans make. God is not a respecter of anybody's race. God is not a respecter of anybody's amount of money in their bank account. God is not a respecter of anything that makes people distinct from one another in any way, shape, or form. The gospel is a message for everybody. Amen? And everyone who believes Christ will take to himself, cleanse them, wash them. Amen? And that's how we present the gospel. This is what we're asking people to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Amen? Even for tax collectors. Right? And prostitutes and jailers and even nice good people. You know that myth about those nice good people? They need to be saved too. And their sin is just as heinous as the jailer and the prostitute and the tax collector. Amen? But God is not a respecter. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely as a gift by His grace. Right? Romans 3, 23 and 24. To all those who believe. To all those who believe. Amen? That's a message for every person. However, their salvation remains in God's effectual call, not our ability to wrangle them with fine-sounding words or skillful apologetic arguments. You know, nobody gets saved because you have enough wisdom to convert them. Are you with me? This is why Paul says, I didn't come to you with cleverness of speech and superiority of words, but I was determined to know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. All I did was tell you about a Jewish carpenter who was killed by an angry mob, by the predetermined plan, counsel, and foreknowledge of God. Amen? God sent Him as a sacrifice to die. Well, we can't convince them. We can't wrangle them with fine words. These things may help. But in the final analysis, it is the effectual calling of God that saves people. Okay? Now, these things about God's sovereignty and salvation, family, are not the evangelistic message. You understand what I'm saying? These things are important for us to know as gospel ministers, but we don't run around to people trying to preach to them the doctrine of predestination in order to get them saved. (laughs) Okay? I mean, if you even believe it, now that you're a Christian and you've been taught it by faithful Bible teachers and you've read it in your Bible plenty of times, it's probably taken you years to begin to begin to get your questions answered about predestination. Amen? Some people, it takes years and even decades for them to come to grasp the <laughs> deepest of all Christian truths. How do we reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility? Right? Are you with me? This isn't the kind of thing we go out and try to share with somebody who has no knowledge of the gospel. Okay? Now, it may be that they come with questions. And I hope when they do, you have answers. Right out of your Bible with Scripture. 
You with me? But what I'm saying is this, this understanding is for the gospel minister, not for the gospel hearer. What the gospel hearer needs to know is that he's been estranged from God because of his sin. God's a holy God who's also a righteous judge. And that God sent Christ to deal with the sin problem so that man could be reconciled to God. And that the way that man receives Christ is through repentance from sin and faith in what Christ has done. Amen? Are you with me? Those four essential things, God, man, Christ, response, is what they need to hear. That's the essential heart of the gospel message. Okay? So then, prayer. Prayer is a vital part of evangelism as salvation requires the hand of God to move upon an individual and regenerate their soul and give them the ability to grasp the gospel. God in his sovereignty then has been pleased to allow us to participate in people's salvation through prayer and preaching. Praying for the salvation of those to whom we witness is important and necessary. And I would also add, especially for family members. Especially for family members. Amen? Let me tell you why. Because a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. You know what I mean? When you grew up with people, well, they know what a rotten sinner you really are. (laughs) You stole their lollipop when they were three. Or something much worse than that. Right? And not only that, you did it again and again and again. And they don't have a lot of respect for you when it comes to righteousness. Are you with me? So when you come, oh, holier than thou preaching this high and lifted up gospel to them, which is calling them to repent from their sins, why, that's rather offensive, especially from somebody like you. Are you with me? That's why a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. This is what they said about Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Joseph and Mary's son? I mean, we know this guy. We watched him grow up since he was knee-high to a grasshopper. Right, and in that place, they they were not very accepting of Jesus. Right, those upper towns of the shores of Galilee. Right, <clears throat> plenty to that story. But the point is, is that in your own family, people are really reluctant to hear the gospel from you. Amen. And so what I'm saying is, it's important to break down those walls through prayer. And it probably is doing more for you than it's doing for them. When you get on your knees and you you weep and you cry before God for their salvation. And you long to see them be saved and you tell it to the Savior. You with me? Because he's the one who saves. And he's the one that's broken down the walls. And he's the one that has the power to save them. Amen? And even the hardest heart, family, listen, the Lord's arm is not too short save. Amen? Gospel content. Okay? Here's a conclusion. Gospel content. What I mean by this is, what is the actual message itself? Okay? Our methodology is not the primary issue in evangelism, but rather the content of the message of the gospel itself is primary because it alone 
is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The content of the gospel message is a matter of grave importance so that we clearly articulate the apostolic message of the gospel. Okay? What I'm saying is, is that the primary issue when somebody comes to believe is that they clearly understand the gospel. Otherwise, what are they believing in? What are they trusting in? What are they responding to? If we haven't told them clearly what the message is, if we don't tell them about God, how do they realize that they need to be reconciled to a holy God who's both their creator and their judge? If they don't realize that they've been estranged from God because of sin, right? How how in the world are they going to know that There's a Christ that died for their sins. Are you with me? How do they know what the fundamental problem is? You understand the gospel presents a huge problem for people, for all people, everywhere. What's the problem? Sin and the consequences of it, right? God, as their judge, is one day going to judge them. And somebody's going to die for their sin. Let's say I'm talking to Greg. Greg, you've sinned against the holy God. Do you realize you're going to die for your sin or Christ is going to die for your sin, but somebody's going to die for your sin, Greg, because that sin is an offense against the holy God. And the wages of sin is death. You with me? This is a fundamental essential of the gospel. There is no gospel without the bad news about what sin is and what it's done between the relationship of God and man. Because man who is now in his sin, right, has provoked the wrath of a holy God. And there's only one solution to that, family. And let me tell you, Buddha can't fix it. And neither can Muhammad. And neither can any other God that we invent. Fix that problem. Because there's only one Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world, whom God sent for that very purpose. There's only one of those. There's only one person who can die for your sin except you. That's Jesus, because he didn't die for his own sin. And he's the only incarnate God who came for that purpose. He's the only incarnate person. I don't know if you remember last year when we were going through the incarnation. He's the only one who could die for sin. That's why there isn't any other way to God. There's no other world religion that can ascend to God because it doesn't come through the Lamb who died for sin. The one and only Lamb. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. He's the only exclusive way. Okay, But here remains the great need of man. It's a great need of every man and every woman that they come to God through Christ. Otherwise, they cannot come to God. Are you with me? And so communicating this message is essential. If they don't realize that God is going to judge them, and they don't realize that they're underneath the provoked wrath of God because of what they have done, right? then they don't understand the impact of who Christ is and what he's done. 
Are you with me? And of course, this is the essential of the whole message, that Christ died for sin. That's the gospel. That Jesus died for sin. Nobody else died for sin. We can't erase the consequences of sin by working up some kind of nice positive confession in our hearts that it doesn't exist. Because it does. It's very real. Just look around you. The death rate is one per person. (laughs) Amen? And people have been dying for 6,000 years now. Ever since, God said, in the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And the day they ate of that tree, guess what? Death came upon the whole human race. Ever since then, people have been dying. Right? But God has provided a lamb. God has provided a sacrifice. And what they used to look forward to in the Old Testament when they had religious sacrifices, now we look back at in the gospel and we say, look, it is finished. Redemption has been accomplished. The price has been paid. Won't you believe? For this is the work of God, Jesus said, to believe on the one he has sent. Amen? The Christ. You know what that means, right? The anointed one. The Messiah. The one whom God anointed to come and die as a lamb. And his death satisfies the wrathful displeasure of a holy God. And it removes our guilt. So that when we trust in Christ, we're no longer guilty before God. But rather, the Bible speaks of us as holy and blameless and beyond reproach in his sight. Amen? Colossians 1, 21 and 22. Right? And so, if you will, this message demands from every person a response. The gospel, the apostolic gospel, the gospel that's in the Bible, the one that Jesus came preaching, that the apostles faithfully explained for us, that gospel demands a response from every person who wants to receive it. Okay? What is that response? Somebody tell me. Repentance and faith. Right? Which really... If you boil it down, they're the same thing. In other words, faith is repentant in its nature. Okay? So what faith really is, is a turning away from our sins and a trusting in Christ for our righteousness. You understand? It's it's not cleaning up your life. Okay, listen. You need to clean up your life because Jesus is teaching you to do what's right. But that isn't going to get you any favor before God. Okay? Christ is the favor before God. He's offering you that as a free gift. All you have to do to get that is believe, trust that He's providing it. Okay? 
But the nature of that trust is also saying, my Lord, Jesus had to die for me. And then broken over your sin, the last thing you want to do is continue in it. Are you with me? And so the nature of biblical faith is turning away from sin and turning to God with a heart ready to surrender and submit to his will. Amen? That's why when we receive Christ in this response, we don't just receive him as a Savior, but also as a Lord. He's a Savior in the sense that he saved us from death. He's a Lord in the sense that he has now caused us to turn away from our sins and to follow him in obedience. Amen? And so our life gets cleaned up slowly but surely as we follow Christ and do what he says by the power of his spirit that's within us to overcome sin. Amen? So a cleaned up life, if you will, is the result of true saving faith. We call it sanctification, right? Okay, so then, the gospel content, right, is important. If they don't have these essentials, family, then they don't have the gospel to believe. This is what the gospel is. Are you with me? These are the basic and essential elements of what the gospel is. This is what we're communicating to people. This is the most important thing in the history of their life. Uh, is there a more important thing than what your eternal destiny is going to be when you die and face a holy God? Is there a more important thing? I mean, I know we run around life and we think life is real important. Let me tell you, life is real important. And the things that we're facing in life are real important. But the most important thing in life is how you respond to Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you, hell is real hot. And eternity is a very, very long time. Are you with me? A lot longer than this life. You can't even speak about it in those terms. Eternity is forever. Family, this is the gospel. Who do you say that I am, says Jesus. There's two kinds of people in the world, family, that represented dying on each side of Christ. One is a Christ-rejecting sinner, and one is a Christ-receiving sinner. Right? One of them, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. The other one, Jesus doesn't even acknowledge. But those two guys on those two crosses, both of them dying, one living forever in his death and one dying forever in his death, represent all of humanity. So what's the difference between the two dying sinners. One of them says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. He believed. Yeah, the power of God was there to raise him from the dead and grant him a willing response. Amen? And how was that fleshed out? A right response. 
a right response. And the other guy? Rejection. Rejection of Christ. Two kinds of people in the world, family. Now, tell me, what's really important? Tell me what's really important. Yeah, are you with me? You understand? This is the most important thing in the history of the world. The most important event that ever happened in the entire human history is the cross at Calvary where Jesus, the Lamb of God, God died for the sins of the world. And he is the fulcrum on which turns all of human history and the destiny of every human soul lies solely on how they respond to Christ. It's the most important thing. Amen? Well, so that brings us to human response. It is of utmost importance that we stress upon people their responsibility to repent of their sins and make a conscious choice to trust in Christ as their righteousness before God. So what I'm saying is every person has to have a point in their life. If if you're going to receive the, the gospel and respond to Christ, every person has to have a point in their life when they do that. That's the gospel that the apostles preached. That's the gospel that Jesus preached. When the apostles were preaching the gospel, they would call people to a response, and people would respond, and then what would they say? Let's go get you dunked. Why? Because you need to make a public profession of your faith, and this is how we do it. How's that? We dunk you in the water, and you get sopping wet from head to toe for the very purpose of professing your faith in Christ and identifying with his death, which is the death of your sins, right? And him being raised from the dead, which is your new life in Christ. Forgiven and washed clean from all your filth. Amen? You with me? This is why it's imperative for us to be baptizing people. Right? How many of you know the Great Commission? Right? What's the Great Commission? Tell me the Great Commission. Go, right? Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Right? Baptizing them. Right? In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Right? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Right? So this is why Jesus says to go and make disciples of every nation. What? Baptizing them. Why do we baptize people? Here's why. Right here. Because the gospel is demanding a response. What is the biblical response that is affirmed that we have repented and trusted Christ? It's baptism. The symbol of repentance and faith is in the baptism itself. Are you with me? And and just so that nobody's confused about your decision, we're going to get you sopping wet from head to toe. You with me? You understand what I'm saying about that? I mean, it's not like, well, yeah, yeah, I trust Jesus. Yeah, okay, you trust Jesus. Come on, let's get you wet. Let's let everybody else see. You understand what I'm saying? It's pushing people to make a response that's public. Because this is what Christ demands. He demands that you identify with him publicly. Amen? It's interesting. 
There's a lot to that thing of baptism. It's not just some Christian ceremony, family. It's your obedient response to Christ saying to you, Come to me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? He who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. He who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's what Jesus said. Amen? You bet I believe it. Show me the water. Amen? It's not something we do reluctantly. It's something we do with great joy. Amen? We had a baptism, what was it, last week? Last Sunday morning? I don't know about you guys, but my heart was leaping. I know you guys too. Your heart was leaping for that young man. Amen? He was, he, he was publicly identifying with Christ. Amen? Just a young guy. It's exciting. <laughs> it's a glorious, glorious thing. Okay. There must be a public conscious response to Christ of which baptism is the crowning event of one's public confession and identification with Christ as both Savior from death and Lord of our life. Amen? And then Christian duty. It is our responsibility to be a witness of the Christ and his gospel, but it is not our responsibility to somehow change people's hearts. That is God's work. Therefore, Let us simply present Christ and him crucified and do this to the best of our frail ability and leave the results to God. This should allow us to be bold, patient, and faithful in our proclamation of the gospel as we confidently rest in the fact that God's word will accomplish that which he sent it for. Amen? Listen, family, if we really believe this is God's work, I want to tell you. This will give you the patience that you need. This will give you the courage that you need. Did you know it takes courage to share the gospel? Maybe you haven't found that word to identify what it really kind of takes to be bold enough to really kind of share with people. And, and you always feel uncomfortable. Well, we always, all, all of us, always feel uncomfortable. Why? Because we're telling them that the holy God is angry enough with them to kill them forever. I mean, just to put it bluntly, right? Wouldn't be too good if my cell phone went off, would it? Sorry. I mean... After all, we're, we're, we're telling them the most earth-shattering words they could possibly hear. No wonder they're uncomfortable. Yeah. Amen? They should be uncomfortable. Listen, if people aren't uncomfortable with your gospel presentation, it ain't the gospel. Yeah. I mean, tell me what person ever came to the cross that wasn't deeply troubled. That, that didn't have tremendous fear. I mean, if they're not afraid of sin and of God, okay, they don't know what the gospel is. You with me? Try to come at that 
different angles and shake us into reality. Family, it takes courage to share the gospel because you're telling people something they don't want to hear. Not only that, it's the worst possible news you could possibly tell them. Can you think of something worse than you have provoked the wrathful displeasure of the holy creator of the universe? That's as bad as it gets. Except hearing, of course, what that consequence is. <laughs> but that's enough to, to trouble anyone. Would you agree? That's enough to cause anyone to fear. That's enough to, to make anybody shake in their shoes. Family? And so it takes courage to tell people the gospel. That's what you need. You need courage. You need to be courageous. You need to be bold. And what I'm telling you is, God has promised that that message is going to bear fruit with every single person whom he intends for it to bear fruit with. Are you with me? Let me repeat that. God has promised that that message is going to bear fruit with every single person whom he intends for it to bear fruit with. We're just the messenger. And so we can be courageous. We can be bold. Why? Because God's word is going to go forth and accomplish that for which he sent it. Amen? You with me? And not only that, it allows us to relax in our courage. We don't have to be all tense, right? And I'm sure the more experience you get at sharing the gospel with people, the the, the less tense you're going to be. And the, the more you're going to have a freedom and a, and a kindness about you where you're able to just clearly tell people this message of love. Are you with me? Come on, let's face it. You're all scared to death to share the gospel. How many people do you share the gospel with? Tell me. Let's think back over the last week. Hmm. Last month. Last year. You with me? It's uh it's a tough thing to face the reality about that. Okay? I'm trying to help relieve that tense stress that comes with sharing the gospel. Okay? Listen. It's God's business to convert sinners. It's our business simply to share the message. And if we realize that, listen, we can relax. It's an important thing. It's a serious thing. It's, it gets tense and stressful at times because people don't want to hear it, and they, they reject it. Okay? But nevertheless, family, listen, when we realize it's God's business, we realize we don't have to convince anybody. We're going to try to convince them. We're going to try to persuade them, but we can't flip that switch inside their heart. Only God can do that. And so we can. We, that gives us the ability to be courageous. It gives us the ability to be bold. And at the same time, patiently allow the Word of God to do its work. And just remember this, okay? You're probably not the one that's going to lead them to Christ. You're probably not the one that's going to see the response. You might even be that guy that's plowing up that hard ground of resistance. You with me? And there's some big boulders in that ground. (laughs) Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? 
But listen, you just keep telling them the gospel and you let your light shine. You let your light shine. You be kind and loving and gentle, patient, and at the same time, courageous and straightforward. You'd be amazed how, how the gospel will impact people. Amen? Amen? And one other thing before we end today, listen. If you don't get started on this deal, it's never going to happen. <laughs> okay? You don't get started, it ain't never going to happen. So I want to encourage you. There's going to be an evangelism class that's coming up in the summer. Our, this class is going to have one more week next Sunday. And then in the summertime, I'm not sure what the dates are, but on the during the first service, we're going to have an evangelism class where we're going to talk to people very specifically about how to share your faith and how to preach the gospel and how to tell people the gospel. We're going to talk all about that, which I've done very little of. Okay, We spent nine months talking about the gospel and, and, and almost... No time really talking about practically how you actually share it. Today was probably the most practical thing we've done talking about it. However, this class is devoted entirely to that. Okay? So hear me out. I want to say this one more time. If you don't get started, it ain't never going to happen. <laughs> okay? You need to be very deliberate about sharing the gospel. Why? Because Christ is your Lord and he commanded you to go share it. That's why. Okay? Not only that, but it has so seriously impacted your life. And the love of God is now running through your veins, so much so that the last thing in the world you want to happen to anybody is for them to be estranged from God. Amen? Well, let me tell you, there's only one way to fix that problem. It's for them to hear the gospel and respond. Amen? And unless somebody like you, who can clearly articulate the gospel, comes along and tells them, those words are shut up in the heavens. Amen? You with me? But God put those people in your life just for that purpose, so that you'll testify of your faith and that you won't be ashamed of Jesus and what he's done for you in this world. Amen? And then when you come before the Father, he won't be ashamed either to receive you into his kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Father, we... We consider this high and holy thing, Lord, Jesus the Christ, and all that you have done for us. God, even us, we have doubts and fears. I pray for anyone within the sound of the hearing of my voice, God, if they are not right with you, Father. Father, call them to yourself. Let them hear the words of Jesus saying, Come to me, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us with courage to be witnesses of you and what you've done for us. Cause us to love the gospel so much, God, that we'll be faithful to go out and share it. We honor you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.